the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now stay with me, stay with me. When the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit had, has multiple ministries. I don't have time to teach you all of them. I'll just give you one. One of those ministries is the ministry to remind us, to teach and remind, kind of wrapped up into one. So when these disciples were kind of in the fog about this, they could see some of it, but they were still scratching their head. They weren't in the total dark where they were now throwing rocks at Jesus, but they're way over here not understanding. So Jesus is glorified, resurrected. Holy Spirit comes down, and all of a sudden, the Godhead, Holy Spirit, is inside of them, giving them a whole new way to see this. He's kind of like, (laughs) blown away the fog so they can see. That's why there are so many Christians today that are so accurate in their understanding of Scripture. That we Christians would be just as foggy as these disciples if it wasn't that Jesus was resurrected, glorified, and now the Holy Spirit given to us. So now they're able to understand it. So even as I'm teaching you all of this stuff, I'm not going to go home this afternoon worrying whether or not you can understand this. You can through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. It'll start making more sense to you. Let's do this for fun. Without saying a word, without standing up and having to talk, How many of you learned something this morning that you didn't know before you got here today? Would you raise your hand? Put your hand up real high. Look at how many hands, if you're honest, that it's true. And it wasn't because of me. All it was is because I gave you the written word and the living word spirit is in you to help you understand this. So I'm just kind of bringing you all together so you can be a part of it. So he's humble. Came in on his donkey, but he was obedient. He's obedient unto death. Verse 17. So it says, so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, remember that first river of people and raised him from the dead, they continued to testify about him. In other words, these are the people that were saying, listen, this is the guy, this is the one we've been talking about. Verse 18, for this reason, also the people went and met him. That's that other wave of people from Jerusalem because they heard that he performed these signs. Again, we got these Pharisees back on the scene again. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, You see that you guys aren't doing any good. They're talking to one another. You guys still haven't solved the problems. I wonder if it's some Pharisees from one area, some Pharisees from the other, and they're all kind of bickering back and forth. And look, the world has gone after him. Now, it doesn't mean the entire planet Earth. It's just meaning that the great body of people has gone after him. This thing has gotten to be so huge now. First, it was a couple little followers in the desert. Then a few more followers as he was living his life in the first and second year. Now he's the third year. And there, everywhere we go, there's people following Jesus. Man, we've got a big problem here. Now, let me pause for a moment. Are you ready for this? <clears throat> Have you ever wondered when it was that Judas Iscariot decided that he's going to um, take off and do some bad things about Jesus. It was right at this time, right at this time that Judas was selling himself out 
getting into cahoots with the Jewish leaders, figuring out a price. And then he told them, I'm going to work this out to figure out when we're going to betray him or when we're going to turn him into you. Now, I'm making it real simple for you, but that was really all going on at this time. So it's interesting how the Lord had betrayers outside and betrayers on the inside, and his heart still remained humble and obedient. Here's my question for you and me. When you go through a crisis, your heart's broken, maybe something else happens. When you go through a crisis, do you kind of want to quit? you want to walk away from it all? Now, think with me about Jesus. Jesus, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, it's out of control. You're about ready to crucify me. What am I going to do? I better follow through. No, he knew about it ahead of time. He knew what he was going to He was facing something. He says, I have to stay on mission. I have to stay with... They're going to praise me. It's wrong. I understand what they're doing. I know why they're doing it. I'm going to let them do this thing, but I'm going to the cross. He remained humble and obedient even unto death. So my question is, when we know we're facing something, do we cut and run? Or like we sung about and talked about this morning, we know he will never leave us nor forsake us. Why will he never leave us nor forsake us? Because he never left us nor forsook us when he was going to the cross before we were us. You know what I'm saying? He didn't do that then. He finished his mission then, so to speak, on the cross part. And he's going to do that in our life today. And so we don't want to cut and run on stuff that we have. So what we do is we... We don't draw into our own strength. We draw into the Jesus who's inside of us when we trusted him. And we pull that all out. And so humbly we say, Lord, I can't. You can. Therefore, I will. I can't. You can. Therefore, I will. And I trust him. And that's called that exchange life thing going on. That's that humble and obedience there. Well, let's go back to our passage here because it really gets interesting here. Something weird begins to happen. It's kind of like, why is this kind of stuck in this passage of Scripture? It's not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, very well, just... Right here. While all this was going on, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And these then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip didn't know what to do, so he went and told Andrew. And Andrew only had enough sense to say, Well, let's go talk to Jesus about this thing. And then in verse 23, it says, And Jesus answered them, Blah, 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 blah. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Now, some of you, you read this, you're wondering, what is this all about this stuff about the Greeks? Do you remember how I started our message out telling you that these guys are kind of bit bit in a fog a little bit? Jesus was kind of almost given a mixed message because he says it's for the Jews. We know that the oracles of Scripture were given to the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. But a little bit he'd stick his head out and say, but they're sheep, not of my flock, that I want them in. We still want to have Gentiles to get saved. Remember, Rahab in the Old Testament was a Gentile. She got saved. He is now beginning to let us know as he's going to the cross that while it's predominantly for the Jews, there is now going to come a time where he's going to put Jews in a timeout and he's going to go after the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean that the Jews can't get saved. There'll still be Jews all over the world finally understanding that Jesus Christ, the Lord, is the biblical Messiah and come to him, but not as a whole nation. Where you're going to find so many more Gentiles that are now coming to faith. In fact, the apostle Paul went after the Gentiles, called of God to do that. God says, hey, Paul, you, you, Jew, you, Jew, you go after the Gentiles. Hey, Peter, you, 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 Jew, 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 you go after the Jews. So he still cares for both of them. But he begins the story right here. He says, now there were some Greeks among those who were going to worship. And I thought, well, who are these Greeks? Were they saved Greeks, Jewish Greeks? I really don't know. But I, I think these were Greeks that just wanted to come to Jerusalem. Watch this, watch this now. They were seeing the wheels were falling off the, the, the wagon for their Greek theology. I'm using theology very loosely, but their Greek belief system. So now they wanted to go from multi-idols to a mono, 
God. One God. And they knew that the Jews only worshipped one God. It wasn't saying that necessarily they wanted to be Jews, but they wanted one place to go where they can at least experience this one God. But they were really confused. They didn't know what to do. So they're going into Jerusalem. Now stay with me. When the, when the temple was constructed, again, a little bit of opening. You'll notice you had the Holy of Holies. You had special places. Then you had what was known as the court of the what, everybody? Gentiles, meaning that he'll, the Lord will even allow the Gentiles to come so far up to this, but no longer, not, 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 not any further. And so now these Greeks are saying, oh man, I want to talk to Jesus. And now, why would he go to Philip? Some people think because Philip had a Greek name. Well, a lot of Jews had Greek names, so that doesn't pull water. Well, why would he go to Philip? Well, it said there he is from Bethsaida. Ah, that's the key. Bethsaida is near the edge of the desert. Bethsaida was a place that was nearest the Greeks. It's possible that Philip also spoke the Greek language. And so there was a little bit of identification. There was a little bit of a, maybe a cultural overflow going on there. So the Greeks would go after him. But now Philip could have gone to any of the other disciples. He could have gone maybe to John, but he didn't. He went to Andrew. Why do you think he went to Andrew? I don't know. I'm going to give you my opinion. And my opinion is like an armpit. We all have them. They all stink. But this might work. Andrew came to Jesus himself. Nobody brought him. Then Andrew, the first thing he did was to bring his own brother. The third thing he did was when they were hungry, he found a boy and he brought that boy to Jesus knowing this, it's all about Jesus. So now when these guys are coming, Philip says, you know what? Andrew will know what to do. Andrew is like Peter, James, John, and then little Andrew, almost to the side, knew a little bit more about Jesus. I think Andrew can help me. So Philip then goes find Andrew. Now, Andrew didn't really have the answer, but here's what Andrew did have. He said, I don't know what to do, but let's go to Jesus. So both of them went up to Jesus to do this. Now, what's so interesting, they said, we, we want to see Jesus. And it wasn't like, uh, can we stand on your shoulders as Jesus rides by in his colt? No, it was like, I want to see Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to I know more about Jesus. A lot of commentators indicate that they probably were even seeking Jesus as some form of a redeemer, rescuer, deliverer, or savior. So now they're coming up. Now here's what I found so interesting. Look at the next part of this because he was obedient. He was humble. But notice how it changes just a little bit here. And I'm going to move that he also had a sacrificial heart because verse 23 says this. And Jesus answered them, Bring those guys up to me. He didn't say that. He said this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, I thought that was so cool because all along Jesus kept saying, don't tell anybody my time isn't now, the hour isn't now, the, the time isn't at hand. And all of a sudden, this is the first time he's saying to these guys, the time is at hand and I'm going to be glorified. Glorified not so much on the cross. That was such a humiliation, Scripture says. It was such a... A horrible experience, but it was when I'm glorified because I conquered death. And he resurrected. So all that's kind of wrapped up in what we call the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ. I'm going to be glorified. This is so cool. My time is now here, which that tells you this. As you're reading all about the time, the time, the time, the time, the time, in the gospels, it's not so much about the time of when Jesus is at hand coming at the rapture or Jesus coming when he sets up his kingdom. The time that he keeps referring to, my time isn't yet, my time isn't yet, but my time is going to be when I go to the cross. And now he tells them, I'm going to be going to the cross. So there's a subtle message here. These guys are now hearing, you know what, my time is about coming. They want to see me, they're really going to see me now. I'm going to be the suffering, risen Savior. My time is now coming. And real subtle is this, that message of salvation. 
that so much the Jews were looking for. Save us now. Hosanna means that. Save us now. Whether it's physically or spiritually. Save us now. It's not just for the Jews. It's going to be for the Gentiles. So let's go a little bit further. It gets really cool now. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Maybe I could share it with you this way. You might understand it better. There were some missionaries a number of years ago that went not to some urban area to reach people for Christ. They went to the deepest, darkest, most distant part of the jungle. They almost had to hack their way through to find these aboriginal tribes out there and to work with them and learn their language and get get them to trust them. Well, after so many years, they came back to, you know how they do, do deputation, raise some funds. So a group of people came to them and were just so enamored by these missionaries and saying, man, I, I hear about all these missionaries going all over, but you went to the deepest, darkest, most distant part of the jungle to reach people that we hardly even knew were there. You, you really buried yourself in the jungle. And that missionary was so smart, he jerked his head back and he looked at him and says, no, buried, no. We didn't go there just to die, to plant, yes. We went there so that we would bear fruit for Jesus Christ. And you know, when Jesus Christ, he wasn't just buried in the tomb, he was planted there because from his death and resurrection, there would be all the fruit for all times. Let's go a little bit further here, the sacrifice he's talking about. But now he brings all these others into it. Verse 25 and 26, he says, He who loves his life, or we could say this life, his life, now, this world, will lose it. In other words, if we're so caught up in my life, what I'm doing, my world, me, my, mine, you're going to lose it. You're going to miss out on what's the best. And he who hates his life, now it doesn't mean you have to have that almost suicidal attitude. I hate myself. I hate myself. Psychologists read this and then what do they do with the Bible? They close it. Actually in the Greek, it's kind of like what they call a relative preference. In other words, you love the Lord, kingdom truths, the word of God so much more that sometimes to the world it will appear that you hate this world, you hate this life, you hate your life. You might even hate the people that are around you. But you don't hate them. It's just you love the Lord so much. I think it's happened to most of you Christians who are somewhat committed. Have you noticed how some people, they they don't understand how that you will choose maybe doing something for the Lord over what the world might be doing and they feel threatened by that? I think you know exactly what I'm saying. And I'll tell you, when you give yourself to the Lord, young, you young people, I want, you to, I want you to listen to this real carefully. You just lean into what I'm about to tell you. This is really biblical. This is key. Those young people who said, you know what, I want to know the Lord. I want to know His book. I want to do what He tells me to do. I want to think like the Lord. I want to talk like the Lord. I want to have the character of Christ. Now, I didn't say you had to be a missionary. You had to be a, a preacher or anything. Just you wanted Christ holy for your life. You wanted to be a sold-out Christian for Him. You want to be hot for God. When you did that, I can't explain how. It's somewhat mystical. It's certainly sovereign. God then takes that life who you now have lost yourself in Christ. You didn't die as much as you buried yourself into Christ. You buried yourself. You abided in His Word. You abided in Christ. It's to that person the Lord now takes your life 
And he begins to do wonderful things. He brings things into your life. He brings people into your life. He brings events into your life. He opens up doors for you. He begins to grow you from the inside out. There's some trials that you'll go through. But every time you see these things happen to you and the trials that you're going through, because you lost yourself in Christ, you begin to see things you've never seen before. And you start experiencing things you've never experienced before. I don't know that I'm always sold out for the Lord. But I remember as a 16-year-old kid when I trusted Christ, I was, I was just, I was a, I, we didn't use the word geek back then, but nerd was probably pretty close to it. And my wife's laughing. She lowered her standards so she'd like me. But anyway, what happened was, I said, you know, I don't have anything much left. I can't, I'm not good at sports. I, I certainly can't do music. I'm not a good speaker. I don't have a lot of friends. I came from a challenged home. I don't, I'm not a smart person. But I love the Lord. I was so grateful that God would save me and that by faith alone in Him and that I, somehow I, I could figure this book out with the Spirit and some wonderful teachers. I, I could figure this book out. And so I said, Lord, I don't know what you want to do with my life, but I, I want to know this. I have to tell you, our life is not without problems in it. We've adopted kids with fetal alcohol syndrome. We've had issues in ministries with people from time to time. Carol's had cancer twice. You already know this. But I'm going to tell you, as I look back over our life, if the Lord took us home this afternoon at the baptism time, there would be not one moment of our life that we would really regret except for the sins in our life that we had. But as far as giving our life to the Lord, we have been all over the world. We have known some of the nation's greatest leaders personally. We've had opportunities that others haven't had. We've never been, went without a meal. We've always had friends. We've had families that have loved us. We've had people like you that, you're the dearest people we have. You're our family. And I think it's because we've lost ourselves in Christ. So we're not a life without problems, but we do have a life with a problem solver in it. And I want to end with verse 26. And this is the verse you want to underline in your Bible. Out of all that I've taught you this morning, if you don't have this verse underlined, at least underline this one. Because these are two promises wrapped in one verse. It says, Jesus speaking, if any man serves me, he must follow me. Isn't that interesting? Kind of letting these guys know, if you guys really want to serve me, you've got to follow me. Where was Jesus walking in the next seven days? Where was he walking? He was going to walk to the cross, so to speak. And then he was going to die. If you want to serve me, you've got to go to your cross, which is really his cross, that cross of Christ, of living for him. If any man serves me, you've got to follow me. But go on, it says this. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And I'm going to tell you, the two of you are going to be so intimately close together because now you're going to be a partaker of his sufferings as well. And when you do, that's how you're going to get to know him, right in your margin, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. And then it goes on and says, And if any man serves me, the Father will honor him. And if I speak to young people... This is a verse I like to give them the most. You young people, if you really serve the Lord, the Lord will honor you. You want honor, right honor, correct honor, you serve the Lord. It starts with a broken heart. If your heart is wounded, it'll turn out to be bitter. If it's broken, the Lord will smile because it's a broken heart that he really loves. And then you move into a life of humility and obedience. Not a life of pride 
and I'm going to do it my way. It's when things happen, you go back to the Word and you say, Lord, I'm going through all this tough stuff right now. What do, we, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? It's all about you, not about me. I need you right now, Lord. Show me what to do. I'm going to give it all up for you. And then finally, it's a life of sacrifice. I can't promise you that you'll live your full life when you serve the Lord completely. Some of you may die an early death. Some of you may die a martyr's death. Some of you won't. But I'm going to tell you, listen to this phrase. The more you lose in this life for Christ, the more you'll gain in the next life because of that. Now, you don't sacrifice to be saved. You sacrifice because you are. You believe he died and he rose again. That's the belief part. The servant part comes after you've trusted Christ as Savior. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just take a moment and reflect on these truths. A wonderful Messiah who comes in, allowing them for a moment to see him as the king, but also weeping knowing that he's not the king yet. He's going to come later, but he's got to go to the cross. What is your relationship with the Lord like right now? If you were in Jerusalem, would you be so much in the dark that you don't see any of this? Or would you be a little bit more like the disciples where you can see the Lord, you just don't understand it? And so now you want to come to the Lord by faith and let the Holy Spirit begin to teach you, and He will. That's His ministry. The Lord wants you to know more about Him than we'll ever want to know more about Him. And He says, and I'll help you to do that. Oh, my friend, I pray today that you look at the heart of Jesus Christ and you can see that he had a heart that was a huge heart, a loving heart. But yet it was a broken heart, a humble heart, obedient heart. And in this case, it was also a sacrificial heart. So take just a moment right now and say, Lord, I want to thank you for staying with that mission where you came to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to thank you for going to the cross And when you died, that you paid for all of our sin. You rose again to be glorified. I want to thank you that you did that with me in mind before I was ever born. I want to thank you, Lord, for the one that brought me that message of salvation by faith alone in you. And Lord, I want to thank you that I I heard the truth, that you are the truth. And I want to thank you, Lord, because now I know I have eternal life because I am trusting in you fully and alone. Would you do that, my friend? Now, if you've done that, and you already know Christ as Savior, which I think the vast majority of you know, that it's not by works, but by faith, and you've trusted Him. My question to you now is, do you believe that if you serve Him, He will honor you? Now, your honor may not come in this life, but it will come at the judgment seat of Christ, and that judgment seat is not to determine whether or not you go to heaven. That judgment seat is to determine the kinds of rewards that you're going to get in heaven. And then when you get those rewards, what do you do? You just lay them down at His feet and say, Lord, I love you. Everything I have and everything I am is all from you. And so, Lord, I'm serving you, and I thank you that you will honor me. So if you did not get honor in this life, you will in the next. But the question is, as a believer in Christ now, Are you willing to serve him? Is he your master? In just a moment, we're going to have our communion service. And this is a time for you to quietly and privately commune with the Lord. Why don't you think about some of these things we've talked about today to see where you might be. Would there be anyone in here today that said, Oh, pastor, today is the day I'm claiming Christ as my Savior. I'm one of those that are part of his 
forever family because I've trusted in Him. And today was the day I entered into that eternal lifelong relationship. And I have this life forever and ever. Pastor, pray for me. And I, I want you to know that. Now, raising your hand is all you've got to do. You don't have to say anything or stand up or come forward or anything. And when I pray for you, I'm just going to generally pray for you so you're not embarrassed. But would there anyone today to say, Oh, Pastor, I just, just want you to know that today is the day I trusted Christ and Him alone for my salvation. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all today that's doing that? Anyone? I'm trusting Christ. All right, Christians, how about you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but it says, If any man serves me, him will my Father honor. So why don't you serve him instead of with an uplifted hand or filling out a card at a church service, why don't you serve him just by a lifestyle change and lose yourself totally in him. Plant yourself in him and then watch the fruit that will come from it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it will never return void and that today we learned a little bit more about you that you did come in with that triumphal entry but it was also a tearful one. And that was preparing us, Father, to know that you're going to go to the cross and there will be that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's just coming in the future. And we get to be a part of that because we are the community of the redeemed by faith alone in you. As we have this moment of our communion, may our hearts be appropriately united with you that we do this not for salvation. We do this because we're in a right relationship with one another and that we have confessed any sin that we've done, that we know that would break your heart and would hinder our relationship with you as your son or daughter. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.